This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Israel and Palestinian militants in the Gaza Strip agreed to an Egyptian-brokered ceasefire to take effect on Sunday evening. Israeli airstrikes on the enclave, which began on Friday, have killed 43 people so far, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. At least two senior members of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a militant group, are among the dead. Retaliatory rockets fired at Israel from Gaza activated air sirens in Jerusalem, though there have been no Israeli casualties so far. Democrats in America's Senate passed their signature climate, tax, and health care legislation along party lines. The House is expected to pass it later this week and send it to President Joe Biden's desk. The law would reduce emissions, raise corporate taxes, and enable the government to negotiate prescription drug prices. Amnesty International, a human rights charity, apologized for the, quote, distress and anger caused by a report it published criticizing the conduct of Ukraine's military. The report, published on Thursday, concluded that Ukrainian troops in residential areas had put civilians at risk. Oksana Pokalchuk, the boss of Amnesty's Ukraine office, resigned, calling the report, quote, Russian propaganda. She said that the Ukrainian government had not been given enough time to respond. On a visit to the Solomon Islands, America's Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, insisted that President Joe Biden sees solidarity between America and Pacific Island nations as a priority for his administration. America and China are locked in a diplomatic battle for power in the Pacific. In April, the Solomons worried America and its allies by signing a security pact with China. Italy's centrist Azione Party left an election alliance with the Democratic Party that had been agreed just last week. The left-leaning coalition will contest a general election on September 25th, called after the resignation of Mario Draghi, the prime minister, last month. Polls suggest a win for right-wing parties, with the far-right Brothers of Italy set to be the largest single party. The Horniman Museum in London announced that it would return 72 artifacts to the Nigerian government. The items, looted in the 19th century from the Kingdom of Benin in present-day Nigeria, include 12 Benin bronzes, a brass cockerel, and the keys to a palace. Thousands of such objects were stolen from the kingdom and are now spread among more than 160 museums, mostly in Europe and America. The International Chess Federation re-elected as its president a former Russian deputy prime minister and rejected a Ukrainian rival. In March, Arkady Dvorkovich criticized Russia's invasion of Ukraine in an interview with Mother Jones, an American magazine. He later issued a statement in Russian praising Russian soldiers. Russian teams are currently banned from the Federation's competitions. And fact of the day, 96 points awarded to the Canadian city of Calgary in our livability index, making it the most livable city in North America. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. America's new tone on Africa. When Antony Blinken begins a three-country tour of Africa on Monday, America's Secretary of State will strike a more emollient tone than his predecessors. The Trump administration was obsessed with telling African states to resist China's ostensibly nefarious ways. 
African leaders saw that as patronizing and impractical. China is Africa's largest trading partner and bilateral creditor. Mr. Blinken will recast America's approach, saying that African countries have the right to follow their own paths to development. But he will also argue, in a nod to the roughly half of African countries that did not vote at the UN to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that America is the most reliable partner for those journeys, whether they involve dealing with debt crises or climate change. African leaders will appreciate this more nuanced message, but wonder where the beef is. Many African economies are in deep trouble and need support for debt relief, generous IMF programs, and money from climate finance schemes. Mr. Blinken's words are one thing, America's deeds quite another. America's abortion wars rage on. Legal challenges to abortion restrictions in America will continue on Monday when a court in Georgia hears a motion to temporarily halt the state's ban on abortions after six weeks. In July, the American Civil Liberties Union and pro-choice groups sued the state after a federal court upheld the ban. The plaintiffs argue abortion is protected by a right to privacy in Georgia's constitution. Since June, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and handed abortion policy back to individual states, 14 of them have, in effect, banned abortion. Several others have imposed severe restrictions. Since then, legal challenges to abortion laws have arisen in at least a dozen states. The Federal Justice Department has sued Idaho, arguing that under its new rules, pregnant women may be denied necessary medical care. But last week, Kansans voted overwhelmingly to keep their right to abortion. With the issue further dividing America ahead of the midterm elections in November, the battle is far from over. Hard times ahead for SoftBank SoftBank Group's second-quarter results, due to be released on Monday, will offer new detail on a miserable year for the Japanese investment giant. After an eventually profitable pandemic, the firm suffered its largest-ever losses in the first quarter of 2022. One part of the results is already public. Alibaba, a Chinese e-commerce giant under pressure from its government, comprised 23% of SoftBank's holdings at the end of March. Mercifully for SoftBank, Alibaba's shares were roughly flat in the three months since. But pain could come from SoftBank's so-called vision funds, which make up 38% of its holdings. The funds hold both publicly listed tech firms and smaller private companies aiming for rapid growth. Both have stumbled in recent months as interest rates have risen, causing nosebleed-level financial valuations to dive. Masayoshi Sun, SoftBank's charismatic founder and chief executive, has already warned that further markdowns are likely. A boost for Biontech since listing in 2019, BioNTech has rapidly become one of Europe's biggest biotech companies. With assets worth 19 billion euros, or $19.4 billion, the German firm is catching up with pharmaceutical giants such as AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline. Despite a downturn across the industry, BioNTech is expected to report another set of impressive results on Monday. The firm's success is fueled by sales of the highly effective mRNA coronavirus vaccine it developed with Pfizer in 2020. The jab recently became the only COVID-19 vaccine fully approved for adolescents in America.
The American government has also ordered 105 million booster doses of a version of the BioNTech vaccine that targets the Omicron variant. Other biotech firms are battling a funding drought, falling valuations, and dwindling reserves of capital. But BioNTech's vaccine profits allow it the freedom to invest in ambitious experiments. The company has long studied cancer and hopes to use the mRNA technology to transform the treatment of the disease. But investors expecting another overnight success should beware. The oncology market is crowded and slow. The Failings of Hazing The rites of initiation practiced by American university fraternities have long been a source of intrigue for anthropologists. Their pet theory is that these, quote, hazing traditions, which usually involve humiliating or physically tormenting inductees, help build group solidarity. But studying them is difficult, given that they tend to be shrouded in secrecy. Now, Evolution and Human Behavior, a journal, has published one of the most in-depth studies on hazing to date. Between 2012 and 2014, the study tracked six groups of inductees, known as pledges, who were hoping to enter a fraternity chapter, which remained anonymous. The researchers interviewed individuals as they undertook a 10-week induction process, including unnamed hazing rituals. The results suggested that anthropologists were wrong. Hazing does not, in fact, improve group solidarity. In recent years, concerns about the dangerous practice have compelled universities to crack down on fraternities. If its ineffectiveness had been proven sooner, hazing would have been exposed for what it is, a cruel, pointless, and often dangerous practice. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Who was Richard Nixon's first attorney general who went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Shirley Jackson, who died on this day in 1965. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.